This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Tuesday. We are talking about caffeine, apnea of prematurity this week. Um, and uh, we yesterday, if you haven't had a chance to listen, we talked about some of the historical roots of the use of caffeine in the NICU. Um, that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, today we're going to take this a bit forward with the discussion of the CAP trial. But first, let's do some, let's do a question. Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, what we'll do, we'll start with a question and we won't discuss the answer. And then we'll revisit the question. Okay. At the end. So, uh, your question for today. All of the following are true except um, regarding long-term effects of caffeine therapy in preterm infants. Um, A, reduced uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia. B, reduced severe retinopathy of prematurity. C, improved motor function at 11 years. D, improved survival rates without neurodevelopmental impairment at 18 to 21 months. Or E, decreased neck. Okay. So think about the answer, and we'll we'll let you know at the end of the show. Um, so today we're following up on what we discussed yesterday, which was that caffeine, theophylline are both agents that are having have been identified as potential treatment agents there and preventive agents for apnea prematurity, but all the studies are super small. Um, there's a lot of concerns about side effects. There's a lot of concerns about long-term outcomes. And so the, the bottom line is big trials are needed. And so today we're reviewing the CAP trial. The CAP trial is an acronym for caffeine for apnea of prematurity. The title of the paper itself is caffeine therapy for apnea of prematurity. The first author is Barbara Schmidt, and um, I think she's at CHOP, and it comes from um, a, a number of other authors that uh, have um, defined themselves as the CAP trial group. The papers are published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and I say the papers because we'll get to that in a second. So what is the question that the CAP trial tries to address, right? So the question is, how safe are methylxanthines when we're using them for the treatment of apnea of prematurity? And what they're saying is that since the data was published, many people are using them. And at the time, there was no clinical guidelines. There was no large trial. So these kids were on these medications for extended, extended Mm -hmm. periods of time until like 36 weeks, 37 weeks. And... Dr. Schmidt and the rest of the CAP trial group saying, we have no idea whether there are long-term side effects that we should be aware of. And so this is the premise for the CAP trial. Now, there is a super interesting discussion to be had about, is it a valid question to ask, right? And that is an ethical dilemma because one side of the argument is that these people who did the CAP trial we're going to then potentially randomize babies mm-hmm. to caffeine and no caffeine. No caffeine. And there was some evidence that caffeine was beneficial. Um, so you could make a case to say, well, how can they in good conscience, how ethically can a board, can an IRB approve a study where they were going to withhold a treatment that had been used now for 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, 
um, we really did not know whether this was safe or not. So, um, yeah, I think that's where um, the intersection of all of these animal studies, where they looked at long-term effects in animals, and they were concerned about some of the neurocognitive uh, effects for chronic use on a, like you said, told us yesterday, on a dose that was just kind of picked out of yeah. thin air by, by by one by one group in a in a in a study of like twenty babies, which. Right. It's not, it's not a, a large number. Um, and, and I'm not saying this because these are my personal views. These are arguments that I've heard over the years about like the CAP trial. But I want to get back to that at the end because there's a way, in my opinion, to think about this um, in a more objective manner. And you will understand why I think the CAP trial is, is an extremely, extremely important study mm-hmm. and that it was a study that definitely needed to be done. So the study design was, it was prospective. It was multinational. It was a double-blind randomized controlled trial. And they included babies with a birth weight of 500 grams to 1250. And they were enrolling them when they were in the first 10 days of life. They excluded babies with congenital anomalies, babies that they thought were going to be lost to follow-up, babies who had received caffeine before they could be enrolled or for other reasons that were not disclosed. The intervention was IV uh, caffeine uh, loading dose, 20 mg per kilo, followed by daily maintenance of 5 mg per kilo daily. Taken pretty much directly from the Aranda paper. Mm-hmm. But again, now you see that while in the Aranda paper, they were using a 20 mg per kilo loading, 5 to 10, once or twice a day for maintenance. Now you see here that the regimen you are using to start off with to treat apnea of prematurity and caffeine is now exactly what you have from this paper. So this is where the dose is coming from. I know there's been discussions since then about increasing the maintenance to higher numbers, but the bottom line is 90% of babies who are on caffeine are being started off with this regimen. The CAP trial also had an an option for if apneas persisted, the the daily dose could be increased up to 10 mg per kilo, which is also why you will rarely go above 10 mg per kilo, Mm -hmm. right? This is usually why we cap it off. They did not follow uh, caffeine levels during the study. And they said that caffeine, uh, had the, the, the clinicians had the, the, the power to discontinue caffeine at any time if they deemed it necessary. So what was the primary outcome of the study? And that's very important for us to know. The primary outcome was a composite outcome of neurodevelopmental impairment at 18 to 20 months, 21 months of age. So they were really gearing the study to look at the long-term outcomes of these babies. Now, what's important to remember, and that's why I said initially that the CAP trial papers, because the problem is that the first paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2006 did not report on the primary outcome. Mm -hmm. But the secondary outcomes were so impressive that they had to release the data and they eventually returned a year or two later with another paper to give you an update on the primary outcome, Mm -hmm. which is something that... I have very rarely seen mm-hmm. where um, there's another outcome coming out of the study, and they said, "You know what? Screw the primary outcome for now. Let's be. We need yeah, to tell you about this." Yeah, we think it's important enough. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, the, that transparency is really neat because you know it means babies got treatment sooner. So yeah, and the secondary outcome were very short-term ones like BPD, IVH, NEC, ROP, and growth. So stuff really that would happen prior to discharge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. The, the study uh, was able to enroll 2,000, about 2,000 infants, 1,000 in each group. One group received caffeine, one group received placebo. So this was definitely the large 
trial that was that we were talking about yesterday that was desperately needed. The mean gestational age of these infants was about 27 weeks. The mean birth weight was around 750, 800 grams. And the median age at randomization was three days. The median age at discontinuation of caffeine was 34 weeks. So when you guys write in your notes that caffeine should be discontinued at 34 weeks, we're not really sure why or whether this is the right time frame, but this reflex comes from the CAP trial because those babies were studied until they were on caffeine until 34 weeks. Um, now studies are obviously looking at timing, stopping, but this is where this is coming from. Okay. Caffeine toxicity uh, was noted in about 1.8% of infants and those babies had uh, the medication discontinued. So the first paper that comes out is in 2006, and there's no primary outcomes, as we said. So we're looking at the secondary outcome. And what did they see? They noted that babies on the caffeine group were weaned off invasive mechanical ventilation and oxygen supplementation sooner than babies in the placebo group. They also noted a, a decreased use of postnatal steroids and a decreased uh, need for packed red blood cell transfusion. The most notable finding, and that's, in my opinion, probably why the paper needed to be published okay. so early, is a significant reduction in the incidence of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And the rates went down from 47% to 36%. And the p-value was less than 0.001. The other outcomes, death, ROP, NEC, IVH, did not differ significantly between the two groups. Um, and um, the growth outcomes were, were, um, were similar. They did a post-hoc analysis looking at caffeine, and they also found that caffeine reduced the need for PDA closure, um, and so that's also reported there. So the big, the big thing here is um, the reduction of um, BPD in babies who received caffeine, and it created a lot of discussion, right? Because the bottom line is this study was not meant to assess BPD, right? And, um, and so... Um, it, it created a lot of discussion. There were a lot of post-talk analysis that were done, but it does seem from all the data that's been published thereafter. And our goal here is not to confuse you. We want to really talk about the landmark papers. So we're not going to cloud the picture with all the other papers that have come out. But mm -hmm. the bottom line is, is that the association of caffeine and the reduction in BPD seems to hold. Um, and, um, and so that was not something that got disproven down the road. And this is where the questions that are asking you whether caffeine can directly reduce BPDs are coming from. So a year later, in 2007, they published the results of the primary outcome, also in the New England. And this time, what they found was caffeine improved significantly the rates of survival at 18 to 22 months um, without neurodevelopmental impairment. There was a reduction from, um, this was a reduction from 46% of babies uh, to uh, 40%. Um, so that's, yeah, significant as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the number needed to treat was 16 there were no significant differences in uh, death at 18 months between the two groups. The incidence of CP was slightly reduced, but all the cases were mostly mild CP, as they mentioned in the paper. And there was a reduction in cognitive delay specifically from about 38% to 33%. Uh, and that was also significant. Um, so the bottom line of the study was, well, caffeine is safe to be used in preterm infants. Um, and this is the bulk of the CAP trial. Now, the CAP trial had this massive, very high-quality data that they kept using. 
And so they did more post-talk analysis and you can read all these different other studies in other journals. Um, but then they continue to follow up these babies uh, well into early and childhood and even like tween type of years. Um, do, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I think the most notable <clears throat> papers are, are two. So they did the outcomes at five years and the outcomes at five years were no longer significant for improved uh, survival without neurodevelopmental impairment in the caffeine group. Um, they had lost a small number of babies, but the rates of death or neurodevelopmental impairment were uh, 24.8% versus 21.1%. And the individual measures of neurodevelopmental impairment did not differ between groups. And then they wanted to continue to follow. So they uh, then published a state uh, a paper of the outcomes at 11 uh, years. Um, caffeine did not reduce uh, the combined rates of academic motor and behavioral impairments, but uh, was associated with a reduced risk of motor impairment um, in children at 11 years of age who were uh, very low birth weight. Um, so initially they... Um, lost some of those neurodevelopmental outcomes, um, but they saw a persistent um, improvement in motor outcomes at 11 years of age. So very interesting study. Anything yeah, else so you wanted always, to say? No, before? I think it's always interesting to see. Uh, we've talked about this on, on other shows, not related to caffeine, but I always like to see the plasticity of the baby's brain mm -hmm. that like they're able, like these these effects are able to taper off a little bit. Even if there's mm -hmm. loss of patients to follow up, it's always an issue, especially when you go to like 11 years old. Absolutely. But it's always nice to hear that there's there's a potential to mitigate these little um, delays. To catch up, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Um, so let's review our, our question again mm -hmm. that we started the show with. So all of the following are true except uh, regarding long-term effects of caffeine therapy in preterm infants. A, reduced BPD. B, reduced severe ROP. C, improvement in motor function at 11 years. D, improved survival rates without neurodevelopmental impairment at 18 to 21 months. Or E, decreased neck. And do you know the answer? <laughs> well, I mean, now I know. <laughs> Um, I mean, neck was the one the one thing that they did study that that was not different between the two groups. Yeah, it was one of the secondary outcomes, and so they did not see a reduction in neck. They did see a reduction in BPD. They saw improvement in motor function at 11 years on that follow up trial. They saw improved survival rates without neurodevelopmental impairment at 18 to 21 months, which was the primary outcome of the original study. And then you told us that there was no um, reduction in ROP. Um, so when they looked at all comers, there wasn't a difference in uh, retinopathy or prematurity between the two groups. But when they looked at severe retinopathy or prematurity, um, there was a reduction in the babies who had received caffeine. Right. And so that's something that was interesting to write because, and that's something where I think maybe the CAP trial is a bit uh, hurt by the fact that it was published in sort of sequence like that. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the original CAP trial, right? Um, the outcomes of retinopathy are, like you said, all comers. Like they just okay. say retinopathy rates and they're, and they're equal. And it's in the follow-up study where they reported the primary outcomes in, a year later in 2007 that suddenly now you start having a breakdown of the mm -hmm. ROP uh, outcome into all stages, all stages and then severe ROP. And it's in that follow-up paper reporting on the primary outcomes that they found that severe ROP was reduced um, in babies who received caffeine. So um, it, it, to me, 
I remember when I was a fellow and wanted to like review the CAP trial, it was so confusing because you yeah, Google the CAP trial overwhelming. and there's like hundreds of papers. Some of them are. <laughs> and you're like, studies. which one's, which one's the CAP trial? Which one's, <laughs> which one is the CAP trial, right? And yeah. so it's, I think the CAP trial, in my opinion, the way I see it is a combination of two papers published a year apart mm-hmm. in the New England Journal of Medicine. They're one and the same. And then everything else was more studies milking the data Positively, I'm not saying this in a negative manner, but saying using the data to answer maybe more questions. But the reason the study was done for the purposes it it was done for are summarized in the 2006 and 2007 paper, which we'll link in the website and in the show notes. Yeah, but again, given the concerns they had about um, the impacts of caffeine on the developing brain, um, I think having those long-term studies into school age are super valuable. So we can say that, you know, it really is safe. And in fact, there's some persistent effects. Right. And so this is something to go back to the discussion we had earlier on about the ethical considerations of re- of withholding a medication that's right. been commonly used by neonatologists all around to treat a very serious disease. How ethical is that? And the way I think about this is we've talked about this with Richard Polin. We've talked about this with multiple other guests on mm-hmm. what William Silverman was talking about, saying like we need to have rigorous randomized trial to assess the medications we're using. And the way I think about this is um, what if the outcomes were reversed, right? right? And it's like, what if you had found that the babies on caffeine actually have terrible CP, right? Or yeah. terrible long-term outcomes. It would have changed then the way you we You would practice. have justified yeah. the pro- – yeah, and you would have said, oh, my God, like, thank God these babies were taken off caffeine. And the way I think about this is, can you imagine if somebody, like, had done this before we started putting free-flowing oxygen into mm-hmm. the incubators? Mm-hmm. Um, the babies who would have not received the oxygen as much would have probably done better um, mm-hmm. when it comes to ROP. So I think we are doing a little bit of a 2020 uh, Captain mm-hmm. Hindsight type of thing here where it's like, well, since I, I we all knew, right? It's like, no, you didn't know. That's you didn't right. know. Um, and now that the outcomes are what they are, you say, oh yeah, these poor babies who didn't get caffeine. But that's the reason we studied. That's the reason mm-hmm. we're being thorough. And I think this is, in my opinion, that's why I said earlier, it was, an, it was a very important study because it exemplifies the research and scientific process. Um, and so, yeah, I mean. Yeah. And I mean, for our trainees who are looking for things to to work on, right, there are lots of things we do that have not had a rigorous randomized control trials. So there's work to be done, even in things that we use as a mainstay. And like, and like you said, the animal data was very instrumental in justifying right. the, the practice because I, there is there is room for empirical inductive evidence, meaning you... you, you mm-hmm. So uh, you, you may run into some issues putting it past IRB if right. you really <laughs> want to prevent babies from getting life-saving measures. But uh, yeah, this was this was an interesting discussion. Do you want to know what I found was the most interesting in the animal studies I looked at? Uh, Yes, I I want to know. (laughs) So um, in a lot of animals, all sorts of animals, um, they found that uh, animals who had caffeine and were placed into stressful environments had more... uh, what's the word? They they just tried to get out of stressful environments. So they were less likely to um, stay in a stressful situation than the, the animals that had not got caffeine. And I wonder sometimes then 
maybe I, you know, I didn't use caffeine at all. I didn't drink coffee in residency. So maybe, maybe if I had, I would have gotten into neonatal <laughs> intensive care. <laughs> would have been like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> but I thought that was interesting because we usually think that caffeine helps us focus in these stressful situations. But yeah. the animals who got caffeine tended to avoid the stressful situations altogether. <laughs> I started drinking coffee when I was like 10. Right. So uh, <laughs> Europe is not good for uh, young children in uh, staying away from caffeine. Um, well, and that's why I liked reviewing the cap trials. It's a reminder that every day when my daughter asks for a little bit of coffee, that it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. I turned out okay. Yeah. <laughs> You are addicted to coffee, though. I am addicted to coffee. And uh, yeah, the doses are pretty significant. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got more um, interesting caffeine-related information tomorrow. Sounds good, Daphne. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.